0: I want to I want to put this message in that context this morning of looking outside ourselves and seeing what it is that God has for us to do I've been I don't know how many of you have been keeping up with it's a little snippet on Facebook life changers by Bob Mumford somewhere between one and nine or somewhere between four and nine minutes I think once a week This 85-year-old sits down and just talks about, at the end of his days, what's most important to him in the kingdom. And I'm telling you, it's powerful. And he's got me thinking about a number of things, but between him and and some others that, that I've been studying and some things I've been studying is what this message comes out of. But our culture has not appreciated the importance that we should place on the people that have lived it out faithfully through the years now one of my friends, he's going to be here in a couple weeks, Wendell Nickerson, he's going to be here on the 10th of June Wendell says that old age does not automatically make you wise and that's true but a life lived for God does make you wise and when when I listen to these men that that are, they're just ready to step over any day, and I listen to them talk about what has become important to them through the years, it changes my life. And I, now I I'm not including John in this category, but I was in a conversation with John Williams. I'm, I'm, John's a wise man, but he's not going to step over tomorrow. So, um, I was talking with John a few weeks ago, and I think I mentioned this last week, and John was just stating that it had become alive inside of him that, that we have made salvation and the process of following God too complicated. And he referred to the scripture where Jesus Quoted, he, he talked about uh, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And then he said something to this effect. He said, on these two commandments hinge all of the law and prophets. And John was referring to that and he he was talking about how important that was and we often make other things more important. And I, I totally agree with him because... I think sometimes we so complicate just simple salvation, just simply being born again, I think we so complicate it that people look at it and sometimes want it, but they're not sure that they can function in that, and that's where I was for many years. I, I, I wanted God, I, I wanted to know him, but I wasn't sure I could be and do all I had heard that you had to be and do to be saved, and sure enough, I tried it and I couldn't. but I found out I can do one thing I can walk with him I can learn from him I can connect with him I can learn to hear him I can learn to move along with him and in doing that I've found salvation you hear me now the kingdom of God I'm going to try to sometimes my efforts at simplifying complicate matters I understand that but I'm going to try to talk to you about the kingdom of God for a little bit in a in a less challenging way. Because in the United States, we just don't think kingdom. It's, it's not in our normal thinking patterns. Unless, unless we're the ones on the throne, unless we're the ones ruling, then we don't think that way. It's just part of who we are. But The kingdom is a standard of rule. The kingdom of God is a standard of rule that cannot be touched, cannot be felt, and that confuses us. It's really not that complicated. Uh, uh, We think of salvation uh, as continuing in our own little world, living our own little way, but somehow attaching the cross to it. That I've prayed a prayer, I've memorized some verses, I continue to pray when I'm in trouble, and now that is salvation, but it hasn't changed my world. It hasn't changed my life. And I just want to say to you, that's not salvation. If the observations that you have about life in general is still locked up in the way your grandparents did it, the way your parents did it, The way your favorite preacher says he does it, but probably doesn't. The way it's been taught by certain groups. If that's where you've got salvation locked up, then you're missing it. But What's happened is we've become very content in continuing in a growth pattern that comes out of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we're completely missing the reality that was established in Genesis that there's two complete, completely different growth patterns at work. There's a growth pattern that comes out of the knowledge of good and evil and then there's a very simple growth pattern that's often missed and it's just the ways of life. The tree of life, if you insist on me saying it like it has been translated. Now, I think that we need to take time to realize how lost we were on our journey before we came to know God my friend Bob Hap makes this uh, observation he's he's a man that without his glasses he's very blind and if he misplaces his glasses and puts them somewhere where he says there's about four or five places in the house that he puts his glasses so that he'll know where to check, because he's almost blind without them. If he puts them somewhere else, he has to have help to find them, because the way that he needs to to be able to see to find them somewhere else is lost. He lost his glasses. You know what we need to understand is: before God reconnects with us, we lost the way of living. We lost the way of life. It's not a list of sin. It's not a list of what I've done wrong. It's that I lost my way of moving toward what I'm created for. And God in his graciousness knew that we needed help to find that, so he sent Jesus. Now, for the would-be theologians among us, you say, well, that's just too simple. No, that's what he did. He knows the simplicity of our thinking. He knows the simplicity of our lostness. And he responds in the same way. So what we begin to learn as we walk with him is there is an invisible government that rules the kingdom of God. That that is the kingdom of God. Now notice I said there is an invisible government. Now, that immediately conflicts with our natural thinking, doesn't it? Because when we think of government, we think we can, we think we can see government from here to Washington, D.C. because it's the, it's the corruption we smell. It's nothing we see. It's a smell. And, but we think that it's physical that, that we can grab, put our senses around government. But this is an invisible government. And it's ruled over by a God who is mostly invisible. But understand this about his government, is his government has been in place, whatever this means, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity, his government has been in place. We're not establishing the kingdom of God. His government has been in place. It's what rules his life. It's the way he lives to continue to be who he is and to continue to live in the things that he lives in. Something that is so wonderful, something that is is so different that he created mankind so that he could teach us the way and have the pleasure of watching us live in it. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you can identify with having been so lost that you didn't consider that it might be the pleasure of God to draw you into his ways. You thought it was the judgment of God that kept you away from his ways. But it's not it at all. That, that, appre- or that uh, pressure, that, that, that agitation is him drawing you saying, Come out of that which you've created through the knowledge of good and evil. Come over here because I have life for you. The kingdom of God. Now, completely separate from what we think in our American mind, we have this this actual spiritual substance, this actual spiritual existence of a rule that can only be accessed through ongoing relationship with Father. We can't say, oh, I've prayed the prayer. I got it now, God. When the trumpet blows, I'm going to go. I've got it now. I've got a list of all the rules. I know I've got these sins all listed out here. Understand me, sin is not a list. It's a condition. And he came to heal your condition. He came to connect you back with Him, and through the process, He would bring you into a place that is a glorious place, brought you out of the darkness of what the enemy and other people have to say about you, and into this marvelous light of what He has to say about you. And the most basic thing He has to say is, You are accepted in the beloved. You're accepted that thing that drives men and women, that thing that that causes us to push and to shove and all of that thing because we want to be accepted by this one or that organization or whatever. And all the time he says, now come on, if you reconnect with me, if you allow me to reconnect with your spirit, you're accepted and you and I are going to go some places that brings you to a place in me that you never thought existed, that you had no idea existed, things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, never entered into the heart of man, and things that God has made available to us. Now, we put that off and thought, oh, that's mantis in heaven. No, there are things that eyes not seen, that ears not heard, that is available to you in the Spirit right now. Read the book and see if it doesn't say that. So don't put it off and understand that there are things there, but only, only as we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our path, and we live in confidence that hearing the Holy Spirit and responding, not just hearing. Some people get all caught up in hearing and they call themselves prophetic and they try to live in hearing, live in hearing. They want to rule your life and they want to rule their life and they want to rule the nation's life just by hearing and declaring. No, hearing and responding in life, and that is life. In that is life. Learning to hear Him above all things. Learning how He communicates. And listen, now, Psalm 24 verse 1 says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. I'm afraid that modern spiritual warfare has caused, warfare doctrine has caused you to believe that the earth now belongs to the devil. Because it now belongs to us and we gave it over to him. No, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he created you to learn to rule and to reign on this earth with him. You know, we're so worried that we won't be recognized as having this great singing ability and put up front. That's not anything to be worried about. God wants to talk to you about the universe. He wants to talk to you about the produce of the world. He wants to talk to you about how lost people can be saved. He wants to talk to you about how your whole circle of influence can come to know Him. And we're worried about position in a service once a week. Folks, it's nothing like that. We're worried about whether we, whether we say come by y'all like they did in the 60s in the service because that's when I felt the best. It's back there. Oh, man, that was so real. Let's go back to doing the Jews' harp and singing Kumbaya, come by y'all. Come on. It might not be that bad. That's a little bit of an overdramatization, but I'm telling you it's almost that bad. Well, I just can't worship with those songs. I, I, I just can't worship with, with that singing. If you're going to put that person preaching, I just can't listen. Come on. God wants to talk to you about some stuff, and it's not that. If you're hearing that kind of thing, it's not coming from God. And if you're hearing about a 20-year-old argument you had with somebody that keeps them from being qualified to lead, that's not God. He's the God of the ever-present now, and he wants to do something in you now, to you now, through you now. That's our God. Now, the kingdom of God being governmental oversees a value system. Now, there's several words that are used to try to express kingdom. And the reason it's necessary is because very few people in the world understand kingdom. But let's try. All of the words that express it, whether it's Greek, Latin, Hebrew, whatever, indicate a way in which the king walks. A way in which the king lives. And common people are invited into the presence of the king Where he lives, how he walks, doing what he does, and living by his decree, that's kingdom. Now think about that for a minute. It's not all of this stuff about, are we going to win? Is the devil going to overcome? Come on, he's not going to overcome God's people. Live different from that. You say, well, he showed up at my house last night. Well, make your house a house where he's uncomfortable. He won't stay long. Make your life a place where he's uncomfortable. He won't stay long. Begin to understand that he brought you out of the darkness that the enemy lives in and into this present light. Now, I've got notes scribbled on notes here, so I'm trying to figure out what's most important. But, we're invited to walk in the way of the king and here's the thing about the presence and the life and the the area where a king lives moves and has his being is there's no other access except in the way that that king prescribes so You can't live your life in the way you want to and occasionally when you have need, come into the presence of the king and call on his help. Now, what does the Bible say? You think I'm treading on dangerous territory here theologically. Wait a minute. The prayer of a sinner, the prayer of one who is a consistently sinning lifestyle, God will not hear. That's the book. Now, I know all of the stuff that surrounds that, but I'm telling you that's American theology. It's not scriptural theology. We need to understand that. Now, he might have mercy if you cry out to him and cry out to him in desperation. He probably will have mercy and draw you toward his ways, but he won't go out there where you're living and live there and have long-term relationship and identity with you. He won't do that. Because he's God, and he can only be God. He can only be king within his basilica, within his dominion, within his kingdom. And I'm telling you, that's what all the thing was about with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was establishing God's king on his throne. It's a kingdom. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Now, you know... Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed or empowered him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now don't you think it's important that we look into the ways of the kingdom? If there's a way, if there's a lifestyle that expresses the king's desire, the king's will, that declares the king's decree. If there's a lifestyle, what you think is important? We looked into that. Now, there's where the problem has been. Many people have looked into it, but they didn't establish it right. To look into it properly, you got to look at the way Jesus lived. You don't look at all the Old Testament law. That's when God was just trying to give this thing some kind of form, letting the letting the world of evil know this. This is my people. You serve notice. These are my people. And at one point, I will do what I set out to do. I'll draw them into the kingdom. I'll draw them. I'll, I'll do something with them that the world has never seen. And that's all that form and stuff back there that we've tried to develop what it was like to live according to the kingdom rule. But if you go to the life of Jesus and begin to look, right here it says what it was. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Look at the way he lived. He lived talking with his father. He lived standing against... Help me, Lord. help. He he lived standing against organized religion. He lived standing against those who would try to demand that they had some kind of right because descendancy from Abraham no the only thing that establishes my right is adoption I'm being adopted into the household of God therefore I am descendant of Christ I don't. doesn't matter if I'm a descendant of Abraham it doesn't matter where I came from doesn't matter if I'm a descendant of the Barry clan and all of their stuff what matters is I've been adopted into the kingdom and that adoption changed my DNA for God was with him now, God anointed him, He empowered him with holy spirit and with power, power meaning the right and the ability to do things, and He went about doing good now in that uh, that verse, and in psalm thirteen six I'm getting uh, Old Testament and new testament here psalm thirteen 6, six says, "I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me." The Greek rendering of the Old Testament uses the same word for dealt bountifully as the New Testament says doing good. Dealt bountifully. Now here's the picture. God doing good to us. And in return, we learn from that and we find out what, it, what we're supposed to do. That means I'm supposed to do good to you. And that doing good, boy, that's hard because there's all kinds of things to understand about good. But if the word good stands alone, then it means what we think it means. But if it's doing good or dealing bountifully, it's two words that come together into one word in those languages, meaning helping to restore what was taken from them. Betty, that's what God is doing with you. He's helping you to restore what's been taken from you health-wise. And I enjoyed that Wednesday evening. You had been on the road, you'd been about 10 or 11 hours on the road and came in with your face glowing and the glory of God shining on you with a testimony. It's her testimony. I won't try to share it. But it done me good because she was talking about what God was doing in her body and what God was doing in her life and restoring that which rightfully belongs to her. That's what we're supposed to do. Is what the Father does. He, he was telling the psalmist over over in the Old Testament, he, he was saying, the reason I'm doing this, I'm, I'm dealing bountifully with you because I'm restoring. I'm, I'm doing everything I can do. I'm in the process. I'm on my way. This was maybe a thousand years before Jesus, but he was saying, I'm on my way. I'm doing stuff for you. I'm doing good for you. I'm already restoring because I know the sacrifice is going to be made. For you, the sacrifice has already been made. He's doing you good. Now, in Hebrews, maybe chapter 6, you'll have to look, but, look, but it talks about discipline there. It talks about earthly fathers. They discipline because they're trying, to, they're trying to do what is good in their eyes, so they discipline. And hear me, dads, if you're not disciplining your children, then what are you doing? You're trying to work evil in them? Uh, it'll work. If that's, what you're, if that's the way you're doing it. But he said the earthly fathers do discipline because they love their children and they, they want to do them good. But Father, our Father, disciplines us, allows us to go through some things. Why? Because he's trying to restore that which we lost. And you look up the word good in the original there. He, he said he's doing us good. That word means to restore relationship. That's what it means. Our Father disciplines us because He's trying to show us that He's in our life and He's doing good. And He's trying to show us that there's some of that old stuff that only can fall off through difficult times, that He's getting out of there. Why? Because He's restoring relationship between you and Him and you and the world around you. He's doing good. The psalmist said, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me he's done good to me now there's no good this is the word the way it's used here in the new testament and in psalms there can be no good without action god doesn't just separate himself from us and just pronounce goodness on us and hope for the best But he's in your life acting, causing some things, allowing some things, doing some things. Why? Because he's doing you good. He's restoring that which is rightfully yours. That which he always intended from the foundations of the world. Now, the Bible said the two most predominant things it says about who God is, it says God is good and God is love. The love of God is doing what is right or what is best for you, doing what is right or doing what is best for you in his determination. The best thing he can do is put you through whatever paces you need put through to restore relationship with him, where you can hear him, where you can respond to him, where his life flows through you rather than your life running out ahead and trusting him to keep up. He wants his life to flow through you. Now, guess what? If you get that work in your life, is going to slow down. people that work very hard and long hours doesn't mean you won't ne- you'll necessarily quit working long and hard hours but it means that you're going to be aware of that relationship while you're doing it and you'll be doing it for a different reason you'll be doing it because of the people around you that you have opportunity to affect that that word of God flowing to you working in you out from you begin to affect other people and all of a sudden you'll be more relaxed in your long hours and hard work why? because you realize that you're a representative of the kingdom in that thing you're a representative of a government that will never end it's had no beginning it's had no end it's always work. that government has made God who he is and if you will allow it that government will make you who you've always been intended to be. But we can't get it by focusing on what we want out of the situation, what we think is right. So really when we're saying God dealt bountifully with me, then that qualifies, or actually that insists, that somehow I find it within me to deal bountifully with you. And sometimes it's as simple as what I was talking about, kicking up the offering just a little bit so somebody can go to a conference. Out of what I have, I deal bountifully. I, I don't talk about it out here because I want recognition. I don't want the right hand to know what the left hand is doing. Sometimes I just put a little money here and put a little money there. And sometimes I empty my wallet here and empty my wallet there. And it's all because I want to deal bountifully with people because God has dealt bountifully with me. I can't have an air of generosity, a spirit of generosity coming to me, working in me, and flowing out from me, unless I let it flow out from me. But you'll be amazed at what God will do. There's some times that that God will speak inside of me to do something, and I'll think, I can't afford to do that, but I'll do it. And it all works out. I'm not telling you that money shows up in my bank account. Let me tell you something. God's not going to rob from Mary and put it in my account. But it'll work somehow. I don't know how it works. Matter of fact, it works and it works well, but somehow... There is another kingdom that gets involved in that, another way, another basilica, another another dominion. There, there's something works there, and it's got to be of the king because in normal ways of life, it don't work. And I don't know how it does that. But it's not because I've stood up before you and said, Now if you'll give a $1,000 in this offering, you'll have a hundredfold return. That's not it. Do what God puts in your heart. Learn to hear Him. He will make you stutter sometimes with what He asks you to do. Just do it and see. Hey, what do you got to lose? You think, everything? Yeah, but hey, what a way to live. Take a chance on God. See what happens. Now, true salvation, true repentance, We, I think we probably all know this at some level, but true salvation, true true repentance is not so much the weeping around the altar, although it might include that when you realize how far off you've been. But true repentance is realizing that God wants to so completely change my thinking that the way I lived before becomes a way I don't even want to live. Because I realize that I have embraced something that's going to cause me to live differently afterwards. And until you get that, you haven't repented. There is a sorrow that does not lead into repentance. I can look back at my life and the things that I've done, and there's a real sorrow there. There always has been. Even when I wasn't serving God, I looked at some of the things I had done, and it was... Stupid things, and I'm sorry if that word is not in your vocabulary, it's still in mine. I've done a lot of them, and you might not. or Maybe you don't do stupid things. I still do stupid things. But the thing is, is some of those things were so stupid, I don't want to think about them, don't want to talk about them, and I was grieved over them, and I wasn't yet saved. That wasn't repentance, that was just sorry I got caught, or sorry that I might get caught, or whatever. But true repentance will be when you look back and realize that you've been so separated from God, and you've been living in a way that's not of God, you've been living in a way that does not promote His kingdom, and you give it up. And turn and ask him, God, lead me in ways everlasting. Lead me in ways that will promote your kingdom. You see, it's not just changing my thinking, but it's changing life itself. Now, God is good. God is love. Now, hear me. True believers believe this. It's a mark of a true believer that first I believe that God is, a good, God is a good God. You've got to start somewhere, folks. Some people start from everything they don't have. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't have this, and I'm not sure God will do this because I did this or because this person did this. And one of the worst things about that is this happens in things like healing lines. And I've talked to a lot of church leaders about this, that if we're going to effectively pray for people for healing, we start with the fact that God is good. We don't start with the fact of what did this person believe that got him here. Hey, it's darkness. That's what got him there. We don't even need to worry about that because I'm going to bring light into that deal. Hear me? I'm going to bring marvelous light into that. Why? Because he's with me and he's good. We start with God is good. God is light. God is good. God is life. In him there is no darkness at all. When he is starting to generate himself onto that person, in that there is no darkness. There's no past. There's none of that. It was right now that God's doing something right now, and I'm not going to tell them I'll go away and keep believing. I'm going to tell them, if you sense the presence of God, He started something right now. There's something beginning to work and you. Go and work with that. Work with that presence. Work with what He's doing. Listen to Him. He'll lead you into ways of righteousness for His name's sake. I've been working with a young man and I'm, I just I don't want to go into details because I just don't. Let's just put it that way. But I've been talking to him about quit looking at the mess of the past and look at the presence of right now. Every time we talk about this, every time we pray together, there is the presence of God that is here. Work out of that presence and realize that he's not trying to restore you to where you were. He's trying to restore you right now and let you walk out of this thing into ways everlasting. Folks, that's the way it works. You'll be amazed at how many people you'll help if you'll realize that. There's, there's a lot of people that see benefit in going back in the past and trying to correct a situation. Well, can't we believe that the blood of Jesus corrected that situation and just move on? Now I know that in in modern theology that causes teeth to grind. I understand that. I don't want to revisit those things of my past. I don't even recognize that man anymore. I want to visit the presence right now. I want to visit this that's happening today. And I want to share that with you. I am a firm believer that if we'll just quit wallowing in what we call testimony and begin to have our testimony coming forth right now, what the presence of God saying right now, what's God doing right now, if we'll begin to work out of that, we'll overcome. Because the blood covers now. Yes, it covered then, but it covers now. And that's what's important. We move forward. And yes, I know that crossing all kinds of boundaries on this because it's just literally getting in and mixing it up in all kinds of theology. But you just would you would you just be honest with you and your past for a while? What has that stuff produced that we want to reproduce in the church right now? Not a whole lot. So you think we might be able to just start with his presence now and move ahead and see what happens? <laughs> because the Bible says that your past is in the sea of his forgetfulness. And if you go back and drag it out, he's going to say, "What are you talking about? I don't even remember that anymore." You see, every life you touch can be can be changed if you believe this. If your belief system begins with God is good and God is love. God is good and God is love. For you and for every person you speak to. Just to show you how far this reaches and this is going to cause some rusty hinges to squeak. But stay with me for a minute. If you see a completely domineering, evil, tyrannical ruler that on this hand is destroying people to keep his kingdom established. And I'm talking about an earthly ruler now. But on the other hand, somehow, this person finds it within them to fund a, an outreach that feeds children in the ghetto. Who is at work in the ghetto? Who stirred something up in that evil, messed up heart to begin to release some of those funds into that feeding program? God. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I would submit to you that anywhere you see good at work, somewhere in that thing is God. And so if you could have the most evil person in the world, and if you can just get on the backside of that evil and touch that God place in them and begin to show them the goodness and graciousness of God, is it possible that those evil walls could come down? It's possible. Now, I used an extreme illustration, but what about that drug addict that their life is so messed up that they don't have long on this earth? But when you talk to them about the goodness of God, they begin to weep and they begin to sob. What's at work in them there? I would submit to you it's the love and the goodness of God that starts to work in that heart. And yeah, they might steal everything you got and take it and sell it when you leave them. But in the beginning, God was at work there. He was stirring something there. And he allowed you, he opened up the ground and allowed you to plant a seed of righteousness in there. And from that point forth, you never know what that seed is going to produce. That person may die tomorrow. But what did that seed produce? We don't know. So all I'm allowed is to work out of the goodness and the graciousness and the love of Almighty God. I mentioned this a few Sundays back. I had a person walk into my house and I knew that God was giving us an assignment. It was an assignment I didn't want. And I don't know what will come of it. But I know that I can't do my normal and just blow it off and move on because God was in it. And I don't know how those things turn out. I had this happen to me several years back in Tucson, Arizona. There was a guy there that was the exact opposite of anybody that I would want to try to disciple. And he just kept pushing into my life and kept pushing into my life. And I kept pushing him aside and pushing him aside. And one day, God said, "What are you doing?" And I stopped. I, when God asks a question like that, it's never because he don't know what I'm doing. It's because he's got something to say that I'm not going to like to hear. And he said, I put him in your life and I gave you an opportunity and I'm giving you an opportunity. Now, if you push him away, you're going to be responsible for his soul. That's heavy. But I took it to heart and now I can tell you that man's a good friend of mine. And he served God. He, he served God with all he has to serve God with. Great guy. Just not like me. And I'm thankful he's not like me. But I'm just telling you that in your sphere of influence as people that have never known the goodness of God, and they'll only know it as you begin to move on them and help them to move out of the repression of darkness, and move into the light that you have that shows them life everlasting. And it's not always easy, it's not always fun, but it's tremendously rewarding. And you know what, I can't... This is something that God has had trouble getting across to me, but I found that I can't answer people out of the reaction of who I used to be. I people that like to play word games, I'm I'm one that used to, I would engage them in their word games and verbally cut them to shreds and, and then physically if necessary, it just, I, I just wasn't a good person. But God has told me, no, that sarcasm's got to go, you can't do that. That anger's got to go, you can't do that. that. That arrogant thing of, you want to talk it down, I'll talk you down. That, that whole thing's got to go. You can't do that. Why? Because that's not his nature. Not his nature. One thing I do like following the life of Jesus, I like how Jesus answered the religious folk. He lets me do that. But I'm telling you, when it comes to just people that are searching for life, you've got to meet them with the love of God that goes beyond all things that you think you understand about them and brings peace to them and helps you to begin to feed something into them that's very real. Now, this goes beyond bodily sickness. But we're going to pray for some bodily healing, some bodily things this morning. Worship team, if you'd return. I want you to just begin to do that song softly in the background and then pick it up as as we begin to pray. Or if you feel another song is best, you do what you feel best. I trust this team. They, they hear God. There's a situation from a young man that, that you guys know. He's young to me. I guess he's probably 37, 38 years old now. Dana Bassett. Young man has got a lot, of, a lot of promise in God. But he's just got an illness right now that, that he needs help and he needs deliverance. And you know what? I just got a sense that God is going to do this thing. And it's not gonna be short, it's not gonna be easy, but I think God's gonna do it and and I've made the commitment to stay engaged with him and his family in it. They don't live here in town but they've been Friend, he's like a son to me for a long time. So I just made the commitment. I'll engage with you. We will do this thing together. But help me pray for Dana Bassett that God, God will expedite this thing. It could be a long, drawn-out thing, but it doesn't have to be as long as normal. Because when the supernatural begins to do something, God gets busy and things just begin to happen. The body begins to respond to the word of God and not to the natural. Cy and LaRoyce's nephew, is that correct? Brody? Th- There's an excitement that happens in me when I read things like I read this morning that he's in the final stages of cancer and in a treatment that hasn't been, it's just ex- a kind of exploratory, some kind of a thing that they're doing that not been tried a lot. And one of the side effects is extreme fever. And he's in the middle of that extreme fever right now. But when I hear something that seems in the natural to be impossible, there's an excitement rises up in me. Because man, we got God to call on. Let's see what he'll do. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna lift up Dana, we're gonna lift up Brody, and we're gonna continue to lift up Betty. Betty's got, she's in the middle of creating a testimony. I'm not gonna try to give her testimony. She's gonna tell me when it's time. But I'm telling you there's things that is happening in her body that are exciting. And we just want to give God praise and glory and ask Him to expedite that even. God, bring it all the way around. There's going to be hundreds of lives touched when Betty walks this aisle and gives her testimony. I'll tell you why. Because we got hundreds of people around this nation and in Mexico praying for her. Somehow she's captured the heart of a lot of praying people and they're just lifting her up, believing God with her and getting excited that she's excited. And most of them don't even know what she's excited about, but they're excited because she's excited. So let's pray for these three. And if you need prayer for your body this morning and you want to come up and and have hands laid on you for, for healing, we'll do that. But let's start just by praying for these three. God, we lift Dana up before you. Lord, I take authority that you have given over the powers of sickness and disease and ill health and command them to loose their hold. Lord, I speak to Dana's body, even though he's in rehab down in Columbia. Lord, I speak to that body and I command it to respond to the Holy Spirit. I speak to that mind and command the mind to respond to the Word of God. Lord, we declare it over him that he will be well. And Lord, that he will be able to raise these two young children that are in his house and that they too will experience health. And that his wife will experience health. God, we declare it in the name of Jesus. Now, God, in Brody's case, once again, we stand in the authority that you've given us and we curse cancer in the name of Jesus. Command that thing to dry up in Jesus' name and to leave his body and that, that body temperature to come down to normal. And God, for him to experience the flow of health that goes forth in his body. Lord, we release it. God, there's no distance in spirit. Lord, we've been working with this over the past few weeks. Lord, just doing it and, and seeing it happen and really realizing that we can reach across the distance in the realm of the spirit and release something powerful in people's lives we release that in brody's life right now that the presence of almighty god will reign supreme thank you you, god for that touch thank you god we thank you for what betty's doing lord we speak to her body command it to be restored totally in jesus name Lord, that you'll take care of whatever issues. God, if you want to create a completely new hip joint and that cause that one that's been replaced to go, Lord, we release the healing power of God to do that. We speak to this body and command it to receive what God has for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord we thank you we thank you we thank you just recently I started talking to some people about what God has been talking to me about concerning that there's going to be some major miracles take place and I know it's going to happen. And as I started to talk about it, the guy, one of the guys that I was talking to began to weep. And he said, God has showed me. He's shown me those miracles. I've seen them. I, I've seen people walking that couldn't walk. I, I've seen the blind seeing. I, he said, I've seen cancer just just come out. He, he said, I've seen people begin to heave as they were prayed for and they'd throw up a big cancerous blob. He said, I've seen it. And he said, the wonder of it is I see a bunch of young people People, praying for people and, and amazing things happening and I'm thinking that's exactly what I'm seeing that God is going to do some things now you may be sitting there thinking oh yeah we've heard it before you know what I've seen it before and it's really hard to convince somebody that's seen it and it can't happen I'm telling you God is God and he always will be God and we're getting ready to step over into something that is for now, not going to be a Zeusa Street, it's not going to be a 1904 to a 1913 thing, it's going to be a 2018 move of God, 2019 move of God. I don't know how far it's going to go, but I'm telling you, it's already beginning to happen and it's going to be happening greater and greater and greater. And to borrow from T.D. Jakes, get ready, get ready, get ready. Part of it scares me because i know what happens is when this happens there's a big influx of people happened we'll deal with that but i'm telling you that you can see already the movement god is beginning to do some things and it's not as people wail and cry for god to do something in the future it's when they hear him and declare what he's doing now that's when it begins to happen and people are once again gaining that confidence I'm excited about what might be happening. I see the book Intercessory Prayer laying here by LaRoyce, and I'm just thinking about one aspect of intercessory is that you cause a meeting. Man, I'm telling you, everywhere I want to go, I want to cause a meeting. Not between me and that person, but between the Spirit of Christ and that person. I want to cause a meeting. I want to engineer a meeting. I want to loose something in that atmosphere that causes them to have an encounter with God. And they might forget they ever talked to me, but they'll never forget that they were touched by God.